Okay, so tonight we're just doing, we're doing a, a little, in fact, it's not a two-part series, is it? It's going to be a one-part series. This morning it was a two-part series, but this morning, uh, this evening it's a one-part series. This is a one-part series. It's me. One out of one. Okay, so we're doing uh, the gift. We're, doing the, we're talking about Christmas. We're doing the gift of love. Okay, that's what we're looking at tonight. And you know, let me just start with this. If you're sitting here tonight, and for any reason you feel, or the enemy has spoken over you, that you are unlovable. If you feel unlovable, I just want to smash that out of the water tonight. All I want to talk to you about tonight is just how much God loves you. And um, if you need to hear that, then that's what you're going to hear. Because, <laughs> because hopefully, if I make any sense at all, because just the key, like the heart of Christmas is just how much God loves us. It's like he utterly, utterly loves us. It's, it's bonkers. Um, he loves me which baffles me, uh, and he loves you all just so much, so, so much, and that's what we're going to talk about, so it, it might be that's quite hard for you to hear tonight, and in a way, that's not a bad thing. If that's hard for you to hear, then you definitely, there's a, there's a reason that God's brought you here tonight, because we're going to talk about how much God loves you. I was, um, so I was on a flight over to Dublin about six, seven weeks ago, staying with a couple of colleagues, and um, we're going on a work conference, and uh, my two colleagues uh, on this side of the aisle, and I ended up sitting on this side of the aisle. I didn't take it too personally. And um, I sat next to a lady, and she was probably like late 70s, early 80s, and she was, she looked a bit nervous. So I started chatting to her, and it kind of uh, transpired that she was a nervous flyer. And also that sadly, she'd like, she was a widow. She'd lost her husband in the last year or two. And she was quite emotional, and she was quite nervy. And I had this conversation with her. You know, saying, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I actually said to her, I hope, I hope this isn't impertinent, but, but what would your husband say to you right now if he was still around? And he'd say, she said, oh, he'd just say, pull yourself together. So I said to her, well, does it help if I say, pull yourself together? <laughs> and she took it okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, as I chatted, annoyingly, I've forgotten her name, but she was lovely. And um, we chatted, like the flight to Dublin's about an hour, not, not very long. And as I got chatting to her, she was, she was a Jehovah's Witness. And I've never really spent any time with anyone who's a Jehovah's Witness. I've met a few at the door. But um, I just got really curious. I didn't kind of push any agenda. Um, I did say near the start of the conversation that I was, I was Christian. I'm a church leader, etc., etc. But most of the conversation was about Jehovah, being a Jehovah's Witness. And she shared lots of scripture with me. She shared lots of her kind of life story, which was, which was very interesting. And then it was just right at the end of the conversation... She kind of asked, started asking some questions back about my faith, about my experience. And I have to say, at the end of the conversation, it all got a bit farcical because it's quite a quick flight to Dublin. You go up and you go down pretty quickly. My ear popped and it got very noisy. So my left ear popped, then her right ear popped. And we're trying to have this conversation. So the only way I can hear her is for me to try to turn pretty much back on myself, face my chair to hear her. She's doing the same, and I think we ended up shouting at each other. Um, but I was reliably informed by my colleagues that the rest of the, uh, the plane wasn't hearing our faith-based conversation. But anyway, we were getting towards the end of this conversation. She was asking me, and it was only right at the end, I was like, yeah, well, in our church, we just love Jesus. And we believe Jesus changes lives. Just people encounter the love of Jesus, and that changes them. And I just about got that conversation in. But then it was kind of, we landed and, and off we went. And I'd love to say there was some, this amazing kind of conversion moment, but it wasn't anything like that. 
But it just struck me that, kind of, like I say, pretty much all of that conversation lacked and missed like the key defining distinctive of the Christian faith, which is love. It's love and grace. But God's love for us is just so abundant. And I thought, as we enter Christmas, the Christmas period this year, let's not do that as a church. Let's not do that as a people. Let's not miss that. Because the message of Christmas is that we are deeply loved. It's a love that transcends time. It transcends reason. The heart of the Christmas story is a love that is fierce. It is unyielding. It's a a love that refuses to give up. It's the love that, that God refuses to give up on us. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about the fact that we are made to be loved. We are made to be loved. And because we are made to be loved, he was born. And he was born to die. Let me say that again. We are made to be loved, so he was born to die. That's what we remember at Christmas. So let me read this talk in a passage that you're probably quite familiar with. We read it a lot at Christmas. Um, If you've got a Bible with you, turn to Isaiah 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, like we do every week, uh, the words will come up behind me on the screen. This is Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. With justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So that is just the most remarkable piece of prophetic writing. That's God speaking through, what two, and then through a, a guy called Isaiah. This is hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And his words kind of come from heaven there, and they're painting this majestic picture of a son of God who was to come. And his words are pointing towards a Messiah, a Savior, one who would come and change everything. And it's quite a pivotal piece of scripture, because the Old Testament, a lot of the time, is talking about God and his love and his relationship with the people of Israel, his, his chosen people, the people of Israel. But this is saying, no, this is, this is beyond Israel. This is for the whole world. This is for everyone. We're also going to look at another piece of scripture. And it's almost like the Isaiah chapter 9 piece is a prelude to this. We're going to look at probably the most, arguably the most famous piece of scripture in the whole world. Turn it if you can, or again it will come up behind me. John three sixteen. That probably twigs with most of you. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Notice the similarity between those two passages. The words of Isaiah chapter 9 resound throughout John's, John's words as well. They're both a message of love. In Isaiah's words, a son is promised. And in John's words, the son has come. The son has arrived. And why? Because of love. Again, John's words talks about love. In Isaiah's words, he talks about zeal. 
And that zeal essentially is love. Zeal can be translated into passionate or intense love. Lots of different versions and translations of the Bible wouldn't say in Isaiah, they wouldn't say it's the zeal of the Lord that would accomplish it. They just say it's the love of God that will accomplish it. So it's because of love. And who is this song coming for? He's coming for everyone. Again, in Isaiah, it talks about a government and a kingdom with no end. And in John's words, it just says the world, the whole world, absolutely everyone. So as we look towards Christmas over the next few weeks and the birth of Jesus, we must not look without seeing that love. The love God poured out in a wondrous and miraculous act. Philip Yancey, for me, just captures it perfectly. It's a phrase I love, a quote I love. He always talks about Christmas, that it's at Christmas when we look at the birth of Jesus that the God who created matter took shape within it, which is a stupendous thing to, to think about. The God who created matter took shape within it. And that act was an act of love. You don't do such a thing unless you are utterly compelled to do so. The human condition is an interesting one, isn't it? The really big questions of life, we can go a long time without thinking about them. But ultimately, like, sometimes it's good to think, what's it all about? Why am I here? What's going on? Well, in a nutshell, at Christmas, we can, we can kind of condense it down. Firstly, we have been made. We are created beings. But we have been lovingly made. Psalm 139, verse 14 says, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. We've been breathed into creation by a loving creator. We are created in love, and therefore we are not just made to be loved, but we are made because of love. So we are made lovingly. But we are separate from that love. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of... We've gone our own way. We're missing out on that love. We've been lovingly made, but we're separate from that love. It says in Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. So all of us have been lovingly created, but all of us have fallen short. We're all separate from that love. That's me, that's you, that's everyone in the room. But thirdly, God loves us too much to go on without us. He loves us too much for us to go on without him. He just will not let, let it happen. He made us to love us. And he made us to experience his love. There's no point in us being lovingly made if there isn't a way for us to enjoy that love and to experience it. Hence Isaiah 9, hence John 3.16. Enter Jesus. Jesus is needed. Because the love that Jesus showed, what we see in the Christmas story, is actually ultimately a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission. Now, have you ever seen, anyone here seen the film called Lion? Anyone seen that film? So if you haven't seen it, I'll give you a brief synopsis, if I can hold it together, because this film ruined me absolutely ruined me. I was a bit nervous about watching it because I thought it would be emotional and I started crying after two minutes and it didn't. And uh, 
that just continued for about another two hours. If you've not seen it, it's, it's about a five-year-old boy. His name's Saru. It's based, I think, I think it's in northern India. And basically, the film starts, and Saru is under the wing of his big brother. They're living in extreme poverty. They're scavenging. They are um, kind of stealing coal and stuff like that to sell and just to make, make ends meet. And uh, there is a, a mother at home, uh, no, no dad around. And, but kind of, it's, it's a story about brothers, essentially, to start with. And he's tucked under the wing of his, of his big brother, who kind of makes things okay. And then it all goes wrong. He falls asleep on a, on a, um, like a station, a train station bridge, and he gets disconnected from his brother. And he goes looking for his brother, and he ends up on this train. He falls asleep on the train, and before you know it, the train is moving, and he's asleep on the train. And to cut a long story short, he basically ends up this train that goes on and on and on for thousands of miles, and he ends up in the other part, another part of India. Uh, and he is just totally isolated. Uh, he's in a place where he doesn't know anyone. He doesn't understand the local dialect. He, only, he doesn't have any money. He does, only has the clothes on his back. And he's five years old. And he ends up kind of sleeping under a subway. He gets chased. He gets targeted by human traffickers. And the story goes on and on and on. And it's just awful. It's just awful. This little kid, he's five years old. And he's, you know, so unprotected and, uh, and hopeless. And you're watching it, and everything in you is just screaming inside. Someone help that kid. Don't do something. You feel it viscerally. You're like... I can't stand this. This has got to change. And, uh, you know, without giving, uh, if you haven't seen the film, I encourage you to go and watch it. Like, there, is, there is some redemption in it. There is a wonderful moment later in the film where he actually ends up in, in the arms of an adoptive family in Australia. And you're like, yes. Hallelujah. And it's a true story. But, but before that happens... You're, you're, you're watching the TV, and everything in you just wants to dive into the TV screen. You're like, I can't watch this. I cannot abide this. You know, you just want, if you could, you, you'd reach out your arms into the screen, and you just want to scoop him up, and you want to hold him. This is a kid who's been made to, made to be loved. And he's made to be looked after, and you can't get to him. That is the Christmas story, because that is how God feels about us. That's why he sent Jesus, because he looked, he looked down on us, his creation that he'd lovingly made, and he was like, I've got to get to them. This can't go on. And what I love about the Christmas story is it's not, this is our God who loves us. It's not that he sent fire and brimstone, or signs and wonders. He sent himself. Flesh and blood. God incarnate. Someone who could be touched. Someone who could be experienced. That's the Christmas story. That's God saying, no more. This isn't going on any longer. He reaches down, stoops us up. He sends Jesus. So the Christmas story is a, is a rescue mission. 
Let's just go back to the verse. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Like I said, we need a saviour. At Christmas, we remember that we can't do this life on our own. We needed that visitor 2,000 years ago. We needed that moment in history that changes our calendars. Just without the Christmas story, the truth is we'd still be waiting for a Christmas story. Jesus changes everything. And we, whatever we're feeling tonight, wherever you're at with God, somewhere deep down, I think we all know that we're, we're kind of as hopeless and as hapless as that child in that film. We may not be scavenging for food, but we are in need of a saviour. Let's also just take a moment to realise just how loved we are. Just go back to John um, 3, verse 16. Isn't it nice that it isn't that God loved the world, but God so loved the world? There's something very personal about this gift of love. It really matters that the gift of love is a person. It's one person coming after another one. Just a billion times over. A baby is conceived and born as a divine intervention into the lives of those that the creator has created. There's something very personal about this. It's intimate. We live in a world where our needs and our wants are increasingly met by, by technology. Things advance. Things are mass-produced. And yet, again, the heart of the Christmas story is our needs and our wants are met by something totally unique. It's the most personal of interventions. The gift of Jesus, the gift of love at Christmas, is not, you know, in my mind, it's not a McDonald's Happy Meal toy, of which there are millions blandly made. This is the most bespoke, unique, almost love letter that's been written just for you. Our youngest son, he was dedicated in this church three or four years ago now. And his godparents, on the day he was dedicated, gave us this lovely present. And it's probably like one that it's not so unique, but it, it, it's precious to us. And they just gave him this little um, picture frame. And then it was just this writing. It very simply just said, you are loved. That's all it says in it. And we put it by his cot when he was a baby. And it's still, now, it's still in his room now. It's on his bookcase. And it's just a daily reminder that he is loved. He's been lovingly made. He's made to be loved. And we do our best as, as parents, but ultimately he will always be loved, whether we're around or not. And I'd love you to encourage you all tonight. That's what you've all got. You've all got one of those little picture frames. Don't forget that. Put your name in. Insert your name there. You are loved. So, at Christmas we remember that this is a love that saves us, but it's also a love that changes us. Because when we receive a gift, it changes us. I am, like I said, I've got two boys. I know full well that giving them a gift can change a whole day. It's amazing the power of some match attacks football cards. 
I'm guessing you guys, you guys are all quite young, well, not all of you, but most of you are quite young, but I'm guessing no one's young enough to be collecting those anymore. If, if you are, come find me, we'll do some swaps. Got lots. <laughs> it's all the rage. Um, but no, when we receive a gift, this gift of love, it really does change us. I heard this great question recently on a podcast. It was two broad, broadcasters talking to each other. And um, the lady, she, she asked, she asked this, this other guy, she said to him, when do you feel most loved? When do you feel most loved? And it absolutely stopped him. This very eloquent guy used to being on the radio. And he just couldn't answer it. And eventually he kind of did. But I thought, that's a great question. And I asked it to myself. And it, I, I found it really hard to answer. Think about it yourself tonight. When do you feel most loved? I chewed on it for quite some time. And, then I, and as I did so, if I'm being really candid with you all, I kind of faced up to an inconvenient reality. And that was that the answer for when I feel most loved is in my relationship with Jesus. But, and sadly, I think often that response is in my head, not in my heart. So, I pondered that for quite a few weeks, and I really asked God to speak to me about it, and, and I prayed through it. I think part of it is realizing what God's inviting me and, and us into. And he just kept putting this song in my head. It's an old vineyard song, which I'm definitely not going to sing. But you might know it. And it's just, but it's also a piece of scripture. So grab your Bibles again. If you turn to Song of Songs, Song of Songs, if you don't know, that's in the, um, in the Old Testament, kind of about a third of the way through the Bible. Song of Songs, this is chapter 6, verse 3. Really simple line. Song of Songs, by the way, if you've not read it, Song of Songs is an amazing book. It's a song about, uh, sorry, it's, a, it's uh, well, originally it was a song. It's basically a book in the Bible all about two lovers and just kind of this, again, passionate, intense um, desire and love for each other. And it's a, it's a picture. It's not just about two human lovers. It's a picture of God's love for us. I'd, as an aside, if you've never read that book in the Bible, go and read it. It's phenomenal. But this is um, verse 6, sorry, chapter 6, verse 3. It just says, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. This is, this is how God wants it to be. He wants for our lives to be consumed by his love for us, and our love for him. Because of what Jesus has done, like I've already talked about, it means we're reconciled, we're back, we're back with him. And because we're back together, we give of ourselves to each other. The gift of love is to be both given and received. What God is essentially saying to us, he's saying, I am yours. You are mine and I am yours. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that, that does feel a bit odd. Something in me struggles a bit with that. Is it really okay to say to God, you are mine? It's like, almost like I'm claiming him. Part of me, if I'm honest, like maybe it's my British reservedness, my lack of emotional maturity, I don't know what it is, but part of me is like, I, I'm not sure I can really claim God. I don't want to inconvenience him. I don't want to put him out. Or what, if I, what if I say that to God and he rejects me? 
And what if he says to me, you can have this part of me, but not all of me? But that's not what God's like. That's not who he is. God says, claim me. You can say to him, you are mine. That's how deep his love is for us. He holds nothing back. He wants us to claim all of him. I think there are a few things, though, that, that stop us doing that. I can speak from personal experience. I can speak from the experience of people around me. I think sometimes we get distracted. I think it's really easy to get distracted from God's love. The world around us offers, offers us lots of things that will promise to kind of satisfy that need. We all have this innate need to be loved, like I talked about earlier. It's the way we've been made. So we can, there's a variety of different things you can do, aren't there? We can pursue pleasure. We can pursue entertainment. We can do things that dull the pain sometimes. We can choose to rebel. We can choose to kind of pursue a hedonistic lifestyle. There's lots of different distractions out there. Basically, we're saying, that I'll do things my way because that gift of love that's been offered isn't, isn't how I want to satisfy it. So we can just get distracted or we can deny it. We can have, we can have days, we can have months, we can have years where we, we basically say, I don't need that gift of love or I don't think it's real. And what we do is we say, well, that Christmas story just isn't true. Birth, birth of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the rescue mission that I talked about earlier. That's just not true. That's, that's a fairy tale. That's a legend. That's the, it's no different to any other story passed down through the oral tradition. It might as well be Robin Hood. We'll make a show about it. We'll make a film about it. But actually, the Christmas story can't be reduced to that. But we can choose to deny it. Sometimes we get distracted, sometimes we deny it, and sometimes I think, and this is perhaps for people in the room who may be following Jesus for a long time, sometimes we, we dilute it. We water it down and we say, what, what happens if we just get very familiar with God's love? And that familiarity becomes over-familiarity. We take it for granted. And basically what we do is we live a life which is there's just enough of God's love, just enough to keep going. But that's a long way from the kind of radical, passionate, unyielding, fierce love that we see, say, in the Song of Songs, or in the Isaiah, or in the Gospel of John. If that's you tonight, I want to say that that's okay, but there's so much more. That's been my experience. And I'm sure it's the experience of lots of people in the room. Don't settle for a diluted sense of God's love. Don't water it down. It's all there for you. I'll finish by saying another thing about this gift of love, which is that it's really good to be loved. That might sound a bit obvious, but it's really good to be loved. There's no shame in wanting to be loved. I said right at the start, I feel like there's people in the room who feel a bit unlovable. Might be wrong. But if you're here and you're thinking, I just want to be loved, then please know that you really are, and that's okay. It's good to be loved. Love is a gift. 
It's not something to be embarrassed about. You are no lesser a person if you desire love. It's the way that we've been made. In fact, the more you, the more you realize this need, the more complete you are. Because as we realize that need in the way we've been made, the more we turn to our creator for that love. It's a wonderful thing to be loved. And a life can be powerfully changed when someone realizes that they're loved. To know you are loved is to know that you are all of these things and probably more. When you're loved, you are accepted. You are believed in. You are cherished. You are committed to. You are known. You are valued. You know that you have meaning. And you know that you bring joy when you're the object of, of, of love, you are those things. It's good to feel those things. Let's just do something. Put, just put your name at the start of the sentence. And then realize that you are these things. So whatever your name is, know that you are, in God's love, you are accepted. You are believed in. You are cherished. You are committed to. God is not going anywhere. You are known preciously. You are valued beyond belief. You have meaning. You have such meaning. You've been created with a plan and a purpose. And you bring joy. You are the apple of God's eye. He absolutely delights in you. You bring him so much joy. So it's good to be loved. And that's okay. Finish with this thought. Over Christmas, you are going to see a lot of Christmas images. You probably already have. I can't remember what image was on the kitchen roll earlier, but it may have been a manger. I can't quite remember. I didn't really look that carefully. Um, but you're going to see a lot of mangers on you over the next, the next month or so. I've just realised you never say the word manger apart from at Christmas. <laughs> it's almost kind of a word that you say it a few times, it doesn't sound right. Um, when you see a manger over the next few weeks, think about this. The classic image of Christianity, obviously, is the cross. It's usually the cross, or perhaps the empty tomb, which speaks of, of sacrifice speaks of atonement, and it speaks of the resurrection, which is, all these things are amazing. I'm not, not saying anything against any of them. But also the manger is a key symbol of the Christian faith. Because when you look at it this Christmas, I really encourage you, what do you see? If you don't yet see this gift of love, see this rescue mission, see the sent Messiah coming for you, in Galatians 2, verse 20, it says this, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So let's have that written on our hearts this Christmas, as we see the manger. Know that you are loved. Know how much you are loved. Know that this is a love that saves you. 
Know that this is a love that has rescued you. Know that this is a love to be experienced. And as you experience it, it will change you. Know that you are loved. Shall we, um, we stand if you're able to?